Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. It's such a joy to be here in the presence of God and in the family of God. And uh, you know, like we as followers of Jesus, we have something that not everybody has. It's like wherever we go, we have got a family. You go to the end of the world and there is a family there because it's the family of the kingdom of God. We have bought by the blood of Jesus and we are today a family of God. I want to start my word uh, by a research done by Cornell University that gives us some wonderful insights about the events happening in our lives. So they did a survey and they observed about... uh, They observed many people over an extended period of time, and they found out that 87% of the events that people were worried about never come to pass. 87% of the events we worry about never come to pass. And also they found out that on these 13% of these events, about 79% of the people they were surprised on the way they handled these events and these uh, issues in their lives because they managed them better than they thought they could have managed. And some of them reported that during this time, facing these difficult events, they were more mature and they learned something precious. And if we do the right math, this means that 97% of the events happening in our life either not happening or we face them, we afford them better than we thought and we learn something wonderful out of that. It is fascinating to see that we worry so much about things that never come to pass and then when, when events comes in our life, then we are equipped not only to survive, but we are equipped to thrive. But even saying this kind of result, I don't want in any moment to diminish the situations, the events, the troubles that are happening in our lives. And I'm thankful to the Lord that it is only this percentage that is happening and not what all we worry about. If we open the TV, we are shocked to see what Leon was talking about before. The war between Israel and Palestine, Russia, and Ukraine, and this is only the top of the iceberg. There is much more going on in the world. Talk about Sudan, South Sudan, Haiti, Afghanistan, Yemen, Syria. This is only the top of the iceberg. What we see, the world is suffering and the world is in troubles. And one of the greatest questions that we battle inside of us is, why there is so much suffering in this world? Have you faced this challenge inside of you and there is a battle? Why there is so much suffering in the world? And you know the church of God has the answer. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. And Jesus before going to the cross, he gathered together his disciples. He was not thinking about his death and about what was waiting for him. He was thinking about his disciples and his followers. He gets them together in John 16, 33, and he tells them, I'm telling you these things, that in me, 
you may find peace. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. Jesus is not prophesying. Jesus knows that this is going to happen. If you are a man or a woman, if you come from England or Albania or America, wherever you are, whatever you do, this, in this world, you will have trouble. And there is a, a great truth in this, in Jesus' declaration here, because he says, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Take courage. And you know, in this world, in the troubles we are facing, the only place that we can find peace is not Christianity, is not the pastor, is not the family, the money, the career, is the person of Jesus. He is the only person that we can find peace and we can go through the events of lives with not struggling and surviving, but thriving. Understanding the power of resurrection that lives inside the children of God. But still it's so hard. We look around with all the suffering. We look around the injustice that is happening. And still even for us as a children of God. We need to see what is unseen. And to believe what God has promised us. And also we need to have the right expectations. You know, many times when we face troubles and difficult situations and storms in our lives, we are so discouraged and sometimes we raise our finger against the Lord and we accuse God of why He has allowed things to happen in our lives. Because we have wrong expectations. We think that life is a playground, but no, life is a battlefield. And as soon as you learn this, that life is a battlefield, you will have the right expectation and the right equipment to walk through life and do life. And when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't tell his disciples, put on your trainers, get your football and let's play together. He asked them and he told them, take up your cross daily and follow me. So life is a battlefield and not a playground. You know, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old. And if you don't know anything about Albania, Albania suffered a lot under the Ottoman Empire for 500 years. And we were forced to change our religion from Christian to Muslim. And 60% of the country today is a Muslim country. But after the Ottoman Empire, we suffered even more from the communism. For 50 years, Albania had the harshest communism in the world. And if you think about North Korea, there is nothing to compare with what was happening in the country. In 1967, our dictator declared Albania as the only atheist country. He destroyed every church and every house of prayer. And he declared, standing over the ruins where the Apostle Paul walked, he declared that I am the God of Albania. There is no God in Albania. And coming through this spiritual desert, you understand what it means to live life without God and what it means the moment you meet Jesus. This is a wonderful moment that I've never, I never forget because it changed my life. And when I heard the gospel of Jesus, I didn't try to understand Jesus. I was overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and what he did in the cross, even though I was 12 years old. I had all this existential question, what life is all about? 
It's not only what we are facing, there is more to life. And when Jesus came in my life, I found the reason to live. Not the principles, not the religious system, the person of Jesus. There is power in the person of Jesus. But even though I gave my life to Jesus, I thought that life will be fun. And everything will be okay in life. And I was ex expecting that nothing will happen to me because now I have the one that is stronger than anybody else. But then doing life, I found out that this was the wrong expectations. I married in a young age and I came from the south to the north. And as we were serving God with my husband, Tani, in the Word of Christ Church, we faced so many families that were prisoned in the house because of a phenomenon that is called blood feud. Blood feud is applied in a Catholic community in Albania mainly in the north of the country and it was come out it came out during the ottoman empire time and most of the canon of blood feud is based in the old testament that it says an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth and literally this means today if a man of your family kills a man of my family every man of your family in six generations has to be prisoned in the house hiding because you suddenly become a target of revenge even though you have done nothing. The only thing you have done is to be born in a family that somebody has murdered somebody else and you are bloodly related with the first killer. And serving the Lord, pastoring the church, enjoying our time in that city. Suddenly one day people come home and say don't come out of the house because your uncle killed somebody. And at that moment, 25 men of my husband's family, they have to be hiding in the house, including my son at the age of four. And in situations like this, what is your question? God, why is there so much suffering of a young guy that is being killed at the young age? And so many others that are hiding because anybody else can be killed to wash out the blood with blood. We were prisoned in the house for four years. And after four years, Tani as a pastor never went to the church to preach. You know, you take it for granted that Pastor Leon is here. It's a gift. Freedom is a gift. That you understand that it's a gift when you lose it. And each other, relationships with each other are gifts. That we only make sense of them when we don't have it. For four years, my husband never went to the church. We did church during the week in the house. And on Sunday, he would invite his friends to preach in the church. And after four years, we came to England for two months. With the idea that we want to save our lives. But then it was a day that my husband says, this is time to go back and fulfill the calling God has for us. We didn't know what the calling was. And we didn't know what was waiting for us in the country. I was hoping that maybe when we go back, the other family will forgive us. Because in the canon it's forbidden to kill children, women and clerics. Because my husband was a pastor, I was hoping that they will never take revenge on him. We were back and we find out that Tani was the chosen one. And in this kind of phenomenon, in 90% of the cases, they never take revenge on the first murderer. They want him to be alive. 
and they find and they choose the best and the youngest in the family to cause the deepest pain 90% of the cases and it's all about honor and shame and bringing disorder and disbalance in the community if you kill me you have put me in shame for me to bring honor back to my family I need to take revenge so finding out that Tani was the chosen one we were praying and we were asking the Lord God what is your calling why did you bring us back in this city and one day my husband comes to me and he says God reminded me today the day I gave my life to Jesus he said when I pray to the Lord I said to the Lord God my life is not anymore mine my life is yours and he said God reminded me this prayer and then he said to me if your life is, is mine go out and serve me as a wife I was terrified of two things I was afraid for my husband's life and I was afraid of being a stone in his race and calling with God so I started to read stories how can you protect a target of revenge and they say if they are accompanied by their wives or children they never kill because if they witness the crime they never forgive so my mission at that time was to run everywhere my husband was going and to be with him everywhere and I managed to do that for one year everywhere for one year and after a year this was the only day that he was alone coming out of the church and the brother of the victim that his uncle killed he was waiting for him outside the church he asked him about his name and he kills him at the age of 34 your question again is God why is there so much pain in this world and you know my prayer to the Lord my first prayer was God put an angel in my mouth that I will never and I may never speak against you in all that has happened I couldn't understand what has happened I couldn't understand the calling of God I couldn't understand and it was one moment that I hear the voice of God saying I was there I was there when he was killed and I knew this was going to happen I was there you know it, it gives you this freedom and this trust and faith that if God is there not only observing and witnessing but present and active I'll trust God and if I will pick up two of the things that have taken us through the valley of death and walking in the valley of death the first one is the confidence that my father is a good father and brothers and sisters this is what I want to give to your heart today whatever happens to you never changes the goodness of God whatever happens around you it never changes this attribute of God and the reality of God inside of you he is a good father 
If you see the wars in the world and you will say, where is God? I want to say to you, even the wars do not change the goodness of God. He is unchangeable. He is a good father. And the second thing, the second principle while walking through the valley of death was that I understood that as followers of Jesus, we are not called to understand God. We are called to obey God. You know, I felt arrogant if I wanted to understand what is God doing? I have a box, a limited box of understanding. I'm a human being that I'm limited in my knowledge, in my understanding, in my memory. I'm limited in my presence, in my power. In so many issues, I'm limited. But I'm unlimited in one dimension. I'm unlimited to trust an unlimited God. We are unlimited to have and to put our faith in this unlimited God. But it's a choice. I choose to pick a position and say, God, explain. Why did you allow that Tanya would be killed at the age of 34? And I choose another position that says, Lord, here am I. I don't want to say, why God? I want to say, yes, Lord, here am I. I want to obey. I want to walk with you through the valley of death. I want to walk with you through every storm of life. Because I believe that you are my good father. And I believe that you has got, you have got the future. My future in, my, in your hand. You know the end from the beginning. It's a choice, brothers and sisters. We all have to make this choice. Do we try to understand God? Or do we open our hands and we obey the Lord? You know, when my husband was killed, I was so bitter. And I was so revengeful in my heart. And I was telling and I was saying to the Lord, God, I have the right to be revengeful. I have the, the right to be angry with what has happened. And God, I hear the voice of the Lord saying, yes, you have got the right. You have the right to be revengeful. You have the right to be bitter and angry. But will you give me the right to be God over your right? And this is surrendering to the Lord. God, I don't understand. But I want you to be God and Lord in every way of my life. Even over my right. It is a choice that we make. One week before my husband was killed, he had a meeting with his brother. And he asked him if he was going to be killed because of the blood field. He asked him to promise that they will forgive his blood. It was our turn to go and take revenge because they didn't kill the right one. They didn't choose the right one. They killed a cleric. And Tani was the only pastor or priest in the history of the country killed because of the blood field. So it was the turn of these 24 men that were free. The moment Tani was killed, blood was paid with blood. And 24 men were free to be out because it's all paid. And it was our turn to take revenge. But a week before he, he was killed, he left us a legacy of forgiveness. You know, his brother and father promised him, that yes, we will forgive. Because we are believers, we are supposed to forgive. And a week later, he never met 
his dad and brother again a week later, he was killed. Forgiveness. How can you forgive somebody that has ripped you apart and has destroyed your household? Can you forgive? I, I can't forgive. Myself, in my human limitation, I can't forgive. Even though it was the last word of my husband, I couldn't forgive. Even though I know that this was something that Jesus asked his disciples, I couldn't forgive. So I asked the Lord, God, help me. I want to start the process of forgiveness. Give me some feedback. And we all do. We want a reason to forgive. We want that our enemy will feel sorry about what they have done to us. And the hurt they have caused us. Just give us a reason, God. Why should we forgive? You know, in the word of God, there is when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. There is a dangerous verse in that prayer. And if you pray that prayer by memory without knowing what you are saying. There is a dangerous prayer you are doing in that prayer. When you read in Matthew 6 verse 12, Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Forgive us, Father, as we forgive others. And that as is an equal conjunction, you know, is not more than, less than. is as we forgive others. And then he continues in the verse 14 and 15, just to make sure that everybody understands that. He says, if we forgive others, our Father will forgive us. But if we don't forgive others, our Father will not forgive us. And these teachings of Jesus, they were before his sacrificing on the cross. Today, as followers of Jesus, we don't forgive to be forgiven. We forgive because we are already forgiven. Can you understand the change? We don't do to deserve and to earn, but we do because we belong and we are. We forgive others because our Father has already forgiven us in the cross of Jesus. This is why we forgive others. But sometimes we have struggles with forgiving. Because we think forgiveness is something that it is not. We expect sometimes that forgiveness is something, but forgiveness is not that. And the first thing that forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. If you ask me, do you feel forgiving every day? I would say most of the days not. There are days that I want to burn the world. But I've taken a decision to forgive. And this was my son at the age of 10 taught me forgiveness. Gabrielle and me, we were walking in front of the court of appeal. And we stopped and Gabrielle is asking me, mom, what is this building here? And I was so bitter, I was so terrified that my son will grow up and take revenge for his dad. So I started to explain, I said, Gabriel, this is a place that you bring a criminal, that if they have done a crime, they can be all their life in prison. And Gabriel looks at me and he says, Mom, how sorry I am for the criminals. I said, why? They will be out, they will do other killings, they deserve being there. And then he stops a moment, he said, Mom, what about those that have done one crime and they didn't have a second chance? 
And that was the first time that I mentioned to my son the killer of his dad. Until then, I couldn't even mention who killed his father. And I said, Gabriel, Mark has done one crime. He has killed your father. What are you going to do with him? And you know, he watches at me and he says, Mom, we'll forgive him. Because Jesus has taught us how to love our enemies. And the only enemy we have is him. This is approaching the kingdom of God like a child. What Jesus says is what he meant to say. We become adults and we try to suppose and find another meeting, meaning. But no, Jesus says, love your neighbors and forgive your enemies. And Gabriel was like, why keeping bitterness in our heart? He's the only enemy we have got. We'll forgive. And that was the moment that I surrendered before God and I made the covenant that I will wake up every day and I will forgive. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. And forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is not, is not suggestion. We think that Jesus has suggested us to forgive because it's better for us. No, he commanded us to forgive. And when you think that forgiveness is your nicest and wisest solution, I want to say to you, it's your only choice. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you don't have another choice. I don't have another choice. And this is the best choice. Jesus knows that this is the best for his children to not live in a prison of unforgiveness. Because there is nothing more dark and painful and lonely than the prison of unforgiveness. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. Also, forgiveness is not a one-time event. This is what we suppose, you know, like somebody has done something to me and I take the decision to forgive and it's done in one day. But it's not. Revenge is a one-time event. If I go and do to Mark what Mark has done to me, it's done. It's over one time. Forgiveness is a process that takes all your life. Remember when Peter went to Jesus. We read that in, uh, in Matthew 18. Peter goes to, to Jesus and he says, Teacher, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? Now, when we think about the culture and the tradition of that time, the Jewish law says that you have to forgive somebody that has done something against you exact three times, no more. So when Peter goes to Jesus, he's boasting. I can imagine like, I'm giving seven. I'm doubling what I'm owed to be. And I'm adding also another number, seven, Jesus. Is this good? And he's showing how spiritual Peter is because he's asking to forgive seven times. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, no, 70 times seven. And this is not a math problem. You would say 490 in the day. No, no, no. Jesus is saying there is no limit to forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a process that takes us all the days of our life until we find ourselves face-to-face with Jesus. If you think that forgiveness will, say, will, will make right your enemy, brothers and sisters, forgiveness sets you free. And it's a destination and it's a sign of your transformation into the image of Jesus. Because he taught us 
us forgiveness by his own life not only with words but while he was in the darkest moment and in the most painful moment of his life from the cross he screamed out the loudest message of the gospel and the message is forgive them father because they don't know what they do if you think that the 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 loudest message is some other things this is the loudest message forgiveness and reconciliation we were forgiven and reconciled to the father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we are called to do the same with our sisters brothers neighbors and even our enemies forgiveness has got layers it doesn't happen one time and forgiveness also it's not forgetting it's choosing to not remember when you forget you do something that you don't want to do it is an unwilling action an unconscious action but when you choose to not remember this is something that after you find out all the hurt all the offense every damage that your enemy has done to you you still choose to not remember because Jesus the Lord says the Lord says that the Lord does not remember for I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins you know the Lord has a unlimited capacity of memory and if he has to remember the sins of the whole world he can but it's the father's choice to say I choose to never again remember their sins and this is when you forgive you don't forget I can never forget what Mark has done to me but I choose to not remember and I will end with this story we think that when Jesus is asking us to do all this stuff of, of things and all these kind of things we think that his expression will be you find out and you make all I've asked to and then come to me and we can have a discussion no brothers and sisters we are not left alone Jesus is not setting us in a box to deal with all this stuff this is impossible to do with your human being but Jesus is walking with us through this process through the valley of death he comes closer we think when we sin when we are away when we are damaged and destroyed we think the Lord will turn his face against us but no Jesus comes closer imagine if your child one of your child is not going well in life is having troubles what does the parent do comes closer how more our heavenly father he walks with us in the process of forgiveness and he equips us in this process and as I'm saying about equipment it has been 13 years that my husband was killed and for all this time his killer has been in prison last November I was speaking in a church in Serbia in Belgrade and I hear the voice of the Lord and I see a vision of my husband and his killer hugging each other and to me it was like God what is this and I hear the voice of the Lord saying this too has one man met in an environment where darkness won and it's your duty to make them meet again in an environment where light overcomes heaven and I was overwhelmed that to me was like what should I do what can I do in all this 
Two weeks later, I find out that Mark is out of prison. Exactly in the same day that God gave me the vision. And it is this confidence inside of me. Don't be afraid. I've got this. It is another season. I'm walking with you. I've equipped you. You are here and you have got everything you have. Not only to survive, but to thrive and to be successful from one level of glory to the other. And I started to see on the streets if I can recognize the killer of my husband. I've never seen him. I've never met him before. I've seen only a picture. And my brother-in-law comes to me and says, give up. He's in France. They've all gone. Give up. A week later, last August, I'm taking some friends up in the mountains. And we stop in the middle of the way to have a coffee. As I get inside the bar, there was one table and one man in the center of the bar. I see the man, I come out, I tell my sister, I think he's Tani's killer. And she was terrified, she was like, no, you know he has gone in France, he's not the one. I said, he's watching us, and his brother joins him. I said, he's watching us. And she says, give up. He's watching you because you are watching him, don't watch him anymore. You know, I had this inside of me, he's the one. And I don't know, I can't explain, how do I know? He's the one, and I'm going to meet him. So I go to his table, and I ask him the same question he asked my husband before he killed him. He asked my husband, what is your name? And then he kills him. So I ask Mark, what is your name? And he sees me, and he says, I'm Mark. And I said, can I sit five minutes with you? And he said, sure. And I tell him, Mark, I've been praying for the last 13 years of my life for this moment. He turns to me and he says, this is a tragedy. And what has happened is a tragedy. There are two innocent people dead. And after a lot of discussion, I don't want to go to the details, but in the end of all this, while he was telling me his suffering and telling me that he knows how much me and my kids were suffering, you know, I was equipped to turn to him and say, Mark, I know the suffering. And I want to see you in the eyes today and to tell you that for me and my kids, because of Jesus, you are forgiven. And we don't pray only that you would be forgiven, but I pray that the peace of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and the blessing of Jesus will follow every day of your life. And by telling this story, I want to tell you, that there is nothing that comes ahead of you that God has not equipped you to be victorious and to thrive. And this is the confidence of our Father. If He has asked us to forgive, He will equip us not only with what we need, He will walk with us in the valley of death. And let's pray together. If you are this morning here, and God has exposed something in your heart. The Spirit of the Lord has brought up things and offense and hurts and disappointments. God says this is the time and this is the day. The tomorrow never comes. The yesterday has gone. This is the time and this is the day. If you are here this morning, open your heart. And let the presence of the Lord to go deep in your heart in those hidden places that even you are afraid to think about. Forgiving 
It's a surgery of the heart. It's painful. But it is necessary to live. This is the day the Lord has made. Open your heart and let Him be God in your right, in your hurt, in your discouraging moments, in your betrayal moments. Let Him be God. Father, I pray that as we stand here, I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to each and every one of us. And if there is hurt, if there is forgiveness, unforgiveness, I pray for the power and for the strength of resurrection of Jesus. That we can choose today to say, Father, I choose to forgive. Father, I decide to forgive. Father, I decide to obey you and don't understand you. Father, we choose to do all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And the whole church says, Amen. Amen.